0: My name's Lloyd Shadrach. I'm one of the teaching pastors, along with uh, Rob Sweet. Uh, I got a little bit of a tickle in my throat last Sunday, and uh, boy, it just—it's allergy season, isn't it? And I, and it just just got me all week long, and I still feel it. You know, it's lingering. Maybe a little reprieve with the rain today. Um, everything turning green. Uh, this is this is part two of the message that Eric taught last week. If you missed that, I hope you'll reach back and get that, uh, where he was speaking on the person and work of the Spirit. It's part two of that message, and in fact, it's the second of four messages that uh, we have decided we are doing <clears throat> as an addendum to the book of Acts. We, we truly believe it seemed best to us and the Lord that we take four weeks and and we actually uh, investigate, if I can say it this way, <clears throat> that, that gap that exists. And, and having been in Acts as we have, I think you would agree with me. Uh, the gap, quite frankly, that, that is evident to us between the, the early church and how they lived and how, let's just say, how they experienced God in just their lives, daily life. And then <clears throat> this gap over to <clears throat> how you and I Uh, experience God in our daily lives, not to, uh, you know, not to throw ourselves under the bus and go, gosh, we need to be like them, but there's a sense to which, well, what was going on there that they live that way, and what's going on in our world that we uh, seem to have a pretty significant difference between the two? In other words, uh, how is it that the early church, post-resurrection, um. They were John says they were found uh, behind closed doors, locked, for fear of the Jews. That's they were here. And then just a few weeks later, <clears throat> they are, according to Acts 17, you guys, turning the world upside down. You see, that's that's how'd that shift happen, you know, for them and Now, according to the biblical record, I want to suggest that the difference was the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we went to the Upper Room Discourse. Eric walked you through what Jesus had to say about uh, Jesus leaving and and who he was sending. And we came up with these nine... uh, Principles, if you will, are truths around the person and work of the Spirit. Everybody with me on that? Where we talked about the helper, that he's a person, <clears throat> that the helper's with us and in us. The helper is the Holy Spirit, okay? The Holy Spirit is fully God. The Holy Spirit teaches and reminds us of Jesus' words. The Holy Spirit tells others about Jesus. The Holy Spirit is in us, or the Holy Spirit in us is better then Jesus incarnate with us? That, that should shake us a bit. The Holy Spirit guides us into all truth about Jesus. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. <clears throat> if the Holy Spirit is so essential, uh, so, so central to our faith, I want to ask you a question, and I do want you to just give me some thoughts, if you don't mind. How is it that 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 we even as a church, you know, we've been teaching. I've been teaching over twenty years, and we're we teach the Bible, and yet, how is it that we can tend to miss being aware of, talking about, and having a firm doctrinal grounding in our understanding in the person and work of the Spirit? Why why do we miss it as a church, and why do many churches miss the person of the Spirit? What might be some reasons? Just just yell them out, some of you. It's controversial. So we're afraid, you know, well, if about the Spirit, then you're going to go, why? You're going to go this way, or you're going to go, well, you're going to go this way. So it could be controversial. Why else? Yeah, hard to fear, hard to understand. Hard to understand who He is and how He, yeah, it can be difficult to understand. Fear, fear of what that might mean to engage with the Spirit. I think it's all of those. Um, in 1979, <clears throat> I, I had been a Christian for two years, and, I, and I've said, shared this many times. And I knew, you guys, I knew that I was a Christian. I had, I had uh, put my faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. I, I knew that if I were to die, that I would spend an eternity uh, with God. I knew that in my heart of hearts. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up in a church, but I had come to faith. And I would say for those two years, my after the initial excitement, in a sense, wore off because I, I, there was this initial excitement of knowing my sins are forgiven and learning about God. After that, kind of waned a bit. I would say most of my first <clears throat> two years as a Christian, I was honestly I was uh, dejected. I, I was fearful, defeated. I I struggled like crazy to do the right thing, you know, and stop doing the wrong. It was just, it was brutal. And I would say this, and uh, I, I said this last week in, at Brentwood. I'll say, say it here, and let me hear it in this context. But I, I was on the whole a happier person before I trusted Christ than in those first two years after. Now, that sounds like blasphemy, I know. But that was my experience. And, and what, I, what I understand now is I was, I mean, I was doing my best to live the Christian life. And that was the problem. And I, I hadn't been taught, and I didn't understand about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't until a, a friend made a statement to me that kind of shook my world and actually put me on a path, in a sense, on the very path I'm literally teaching today, these things we're going to talk about, that, that my, can I, can I say this sounds weird, that the Christian life began to work for me, so to speak. I mean, I began to really understand and grow in my relationship with Christ. This friend of mine said to me, Lloyd, you cannot live the Christian life. And when he said that to me, it was kind of like a light went on and I went, thank you for telling me that because I know I'm not doing very well. I'm standing before you today because of that statement and where it took me. And it's where we're going to go in this series, quite frankly, while we're talking about the person and work of the Spirit. We're going to talk about four truths about what it means to (laughs) <laughs> what it means to trust the Spirit. And I'm gonna get, y'all, I'm gonna get as practical as I can because I think it's so necessary in terms of how, <clears throat> how, to, how to trust the Spirit living in us. So because it's not a <clears throat> text we're gonna move through, but a couple texts we'll look at, I've got four headings I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk through, we're gonna fit this under. We're gonna talk about a condition, a condition, a contrast, a command, and a choice. You know, four Cs kind of help us remember this. A condition, a contrast, a command, and a choice. And I'm going to tell you every time I'm in one of these, which heading we're under. We're starting out with a condition, okay? Now, let's go back to the upper room, upper room discourse in John's gospel. And I want you to go to John chapter 15. I'd like you to go to John chapter 15. I want to remind you that we are in the upper room with Jesus. He's telling them things just before his death. He is, in fact, and this is what we did last week. We went from 14, 15, 16, and we listened to Jesus prepare them for his leaving. So in the midst of Jesus telling them all nine things about the Holy Spirit, okay, so he's talking about the Holy Spirit's going to do this, this is who he is, this is how this... In the midst of all of that... He says exactly what my friend said to me. We often can slide by it, but it's within that context. Look at John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. Jesus says, "...abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me." I am the vine you are the branches he who abides in me and I in him he bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing you know this is not this is not one of those passages where you read it and you go you know when he says apart from me you can do nothing let me explain that cuz that's not what it means what it really means it no this is not that uh, when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing, what can we do apart from Jesus? You say it out loud. You know, you know, we 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 say that, but you know, it's one thing to say it, and it's one thing to truly, truly live it. To abide, <clears throat> that idea is to to remain in and to stay. To remain in and to stay. We're not agrarian people per se but we get it if you were to go out to one of these trees blooming now and break off one of the blooms as it's coming on you know as beautiful as it is it would not look like that tomorrow for you have removed it from staying and abiding in the life source of that tree and the roots providing that nutrition that's the idea to abide in Jesus, to stay in Jesus, to rest in Jesus, to allow Jesus's life to flow through us. There's something really interesting Jesus says here. Not only do we abide in him, but did you notice it says he abides in us. You see, it's not just we abide in him. He he must first abide in us in order for us to abide in him. So this, this raises the question, and this is where, <laughs> y'all, if, you, if this is confusing to you, this is where I'm trying to simplify it, because it's always been confusing to me, too, just so you know. And, and, and I'm trying to, to, to get it in a place where we just go, I, 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 can, I get that. Um, how is it, this is not a trick question, how is it that Jesus abides in us? See, because Jesus says, I'm going to remain in you. How does Jesus remain in in us? Not a trick question. How? Say it it out loud. Okay, by the Spirit, you see. The Spirit abides and lives in us. Uh, You know, Jesus, when he took on a body to save us, he became fully God, fully man. You do understand <clears throat> a reminder that Jesus, having taken on a body, you guys realize Jesus will never be without a body you know, Jesus incarnate now he he is now in a glorified body right his, his body 's been glorified, but you understand he will never be separate from that body think about the think about the um, the value of our humanity that Jesus would take on. A body. Now, Jesus' body, we know post-resurrection, he's, you know, walk through a wall, there's some amazing things about a resurrected body that we'll have as well. But one thing we know for sure is a glorified body can only be in one place at one time. And th- this, is, this is a little tricky, and so I'm just gonna walk you through this, stay with me. If I were to ask you, where is Jesus right now? The correct answer is, okay, Jesus in his glorified body is at the right hand of the Father. You understand, if Jesus in his glorified body were on the earth, he could be in one place and one place only. No, Jesus in his glorified body is at the right hand of the Father. But Jesus says... It's to your advantage that I go there because when I go to the right hand of the Father, I will send the Holy Spirit and he will be with you and in you. Such, okay, such that, that uh, Paul in Romans 8 and 9, I'll read this later, but he, he'll, Paul's gonna speak of the Holy Spirit and Paul's gonna call the Holy Spirit The Spirit of Christ. So you say, wait a minute, I thought he's the Holy Spirit. Well, Paul calls him the Spirit of Christ. And then Paul, in Galatians 2.20, a familiar verse to many, you know, in that verse, don't forget, Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but who lives in him. Christ, he goes, but Christ lives in me. Now, don't raise your hand, but has anyone ever been confused and kind of go, no, does Christ live in me? Does the spirit live in me? But Lloyd just said that Christ glorified bodies in heaven, so Christ is really not on earth, but then we all say Christ lives in my hope. What, what, you know, you kind of go, who's where, whip, in, out, whatever. Now, listen, (coughs) the doctrine of the trinity Jesus is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not Jesus in person or role. But they are one in essence. Such that Paul can say theologically correctly that the Holy Spirit who lives in us is the essence of Jesus in us. So he can synonymously say it's the spirit of Christ in me. And we know he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? One in essence. And so you get the terms used differently throughout the scripture and you get confused. No, Jesus lives in you and me if we've placed our faith in Christ by the person of the Holy Spirit such that it is okay to say, even as Paul does, Christ lives in me. And we understand that that's the person of the Spirit. Are you guys with me on that? Okay, just seeking to clarify that. That's why I'm gonna put my notes on the website and uh, we, can, we can go back and look at those. So Jesus abides in us. So, so when he says, so Christ says he abides in us, he does by the person of the Spirit, so in a sense, and this is where this is kind of blends together, when we talk about in a moment what it means to depend on the Spirit, <coughs> even to be filled with the Spirit, that is synonymous, you guys, with abiding in Jesus. We're not talking about two different things like, oh, okay, I need, to learn, I need to learn what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Got that? Now I need to learn what it means to abide in Christ. No to abide in Christ, to remain in Christ, to be filled with the Spirit, to remain in the Spirit. <clears throat> now, why am I starting uh, here? Number one, to clarify the, the doctrine of the Trinity. Number two, I start here with our inability because until you know that you are cannot live the Christian life you will not fully depend on the Spirit y'all this is where thank you Sharon this is where the Christian life is not you know I've got strengths and gifts I can live the Christian life and Holy Spirit by the way I need your help that's not the Christian life The Christian life is, I cannot live it, and therefore, Holy Spirit, Christ in me, I need you to live the Christian life through me, and until we recognize, until we're at a place, honestly, you guys, where you go, I can't, I cannot then we will not depend fully on the Spirit. So here's the the condition. Remember, this was all under the heading condition. The condition is one word, and it's the word inadequacy. If you and I want to, to be filled with the Spirit, even as we'll talk about in a moment, it begins with a recognition of our inadequacy. Now, no wonder Jesus, when he commanded them to go and make disciples of all nations, which is the most urgent priority, in the universe, always, he actually said, wait before you start. That's profound. I mean, think about the time they wasted maybe, you know, between, uh, between Jesus' ascension and Pentecost. That wasn't a waste of time. Jesus said, you, you can't do it, so don't even try. And you sit here and you go, wait, they just spent three years with Jesus, If anyone's qualified to go make disciples, now it's them. No, they're not. Why? Because they had not received the fullness of the Spirit. So Jesus said, wait. Now we got to answer this question. When does the Holy Spirit take up residence in us? When does the Holy Spirit take up residence in us? I'm still under this first heading, so, so just stick with me on that. Three important doctrines, you all, that we won't go deep into, but I will give you our understanding of of these doctrines as we understand the Scripture. Absolutely essential if we're going to walk with the person of the Holy Spirit. Indwelling, baptizing, and sealing. And we're going to throw these up on the screen so you can see them. I simply want to hit them quickly, and and, and I'm glad to answer questions around this. I've said to you, just shoot emails and we'll, we'll address some of those questions. The indwelling of the Spirit, first doctrinal issue. Paul says in Romans 8 and 9, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now stop right there. Isn't it interesting that Paul says the Spirit of God. So now we're already going, wait, is he talking about the Holy Spirit? Is he? Yeah. So he just calls him the Spirit of God. Wow. Okay, so Spirit of God. He goes on. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, wait, are you talking about the Holy Spirit, Paul? Is he? Yes. Okay, Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ, Holy Spirit. Does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. To be a Christian is to be indwelt by the Spirit. If you're not indwelt by the Spirit, the Spirit living in you, then you're not a believer for you, see, to... Put your faith in Christ is a work of the Spirit. And the Spirit indwells us in our, in our, in our active belief. So to be indwelt is to be a Christian. Secondly, and this is the confusing one, <clears throat> the baptism of the Spirit. Some different views on the baptism of the Spirit. And this is where you know, we, can get, we can get off on this end or get off on this end. First Corinthians 12, 13 says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Baptize. We always try and teach, when we're talking about baptism, baptism means to be identified with. When you place your faith in Christ, the spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. What does that mean? He identifies us and places us within the universal body of Jesus. See, the church is the body of Christ. All who place their faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That is Christ's body, and the Spirit identifies us in that body. When we believe, the moment we believe, we believe that's what the Bible teaches. Others would say that happens at a second time, and if I have an opportunity two weeks from now, I'll certainly address that. But we believe it happens at the moment of belief, the baptism of the Spirit. And then the third work of the Spirit is the sealing, the sealing of the Spirit. Ephesians 1.13, In Him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. The, the sealing of the Spirit is God um, giving us the Spirit as this is a weak analogy, but it's like as earnest money. You're buying a home. You're very serious about buying the home. You want that, the seller not to sell it to someone else. Here's the earnest money. We're coming back in three weeks with the whole thing, and we're buying the home. God gives us his spirit as a deposit, if you will, to say, you're mine. You're gonna go through highs and lows in life, and I want you to know all the way through those highs and lows, You are mine, and I will bring you home. The Holy Spirit in you is a deposit of that promise. Indwelling, the baptism of the Spirit, and the sealing of the Spirit, we believe happens the moment you believe in Christ, the moment you trust Christ. And by the way, this speaks to the permanency as well of the Spirit. In and in someone, someone shot me a question the other day or something and said, you know, did some, did, there's something you said that made, us, made me think that the Spirit could leave us. I don't know what I said, but let me say to you, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you, He will never leave you. What did Jesus say? I will never leave you or forsake you. That, that would mean the Holy Spirit in us, you see, will never leave us nor forsake. So, that Spirit's presence in us is permanent. Now, <clears throat> we're going to move from the condition inadequacy uh, and some of these the three doctrines that, that are foundational to our understanding of our interactions with the Holy Spirit, and we're going practical. We're going, we're going this, this, I think this is what it looks like in life. Let's go to the contrast and the command. And to do that, we've got to go to Ephesians. Got to go to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 18, probably the seminal passage on the fullness of the Spirit, Ephesians 5, 18. As you're turning there, go to Ephesians five, eighteen. Let me just, just listen to these phrases from the book of Acts when we think about the person and work of the Spirit. Acts 2, 4 says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak. Acts 4, 8 says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Acts 4.31, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Acts 7.55, but being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven. Acts 13.9, Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze upon him. Do you recall that as we were at Acts? It would, it would be the, 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 the narrative would be moving along. and Then it would say, and Stephen, filled with the Holy Spirit, did. And they're moving along. And then Paul, full of the Holy Spirit. What is this full of the Holy Spirit? What is this fullness of the Holy Spirit? We find that answered in Ephesians 5.18. Ephesians 5.18 is the only place in the Scripture where we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Now that's interesting to me that something so essential would would have this one verse, and yet I think there's a i i'm beginning to understand some reasons around that as I as I continue to study myself and see that the mystery around the spirit himself. But there's there's no mystery here. There's real clarity around what it means and how one is filled with the spirit. Let me say this just an addendum, if I may, as well. Nowhere in the bible are we commanded <clears throat> to be baptized with the spirit that's not commanded to be indwelt by the spirit it's not commanded to be sealed by the spirit it's not commanded it's done here we're commanded be filled with the spirit it is a contrast and it is a command all right look at 518 <clears throat> just focusing on that verse today and do not get drunk with wine For that is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. The contrast is not, you know, alcohol and spirit. The contrast is the effect of alcohol and spirit. The effect of those. When you, and this is, we get this. We don't have to kind of imagine some ancient history to, to understand the context. You guys, you drink too much, you're controlled by the alcohol. We know that. drink too much wine, you drink too much whatever, drink too many beers. You're controlled by your actions, your your mind, (laughs) your affections, your desires, your choices. They're, They're controlled by the alcohol. If you are filled with the Spirit... Your mind, your affections, desires, your choices you make are, are controlled by, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So there's the, there's the contrast that Paul is giving us. Don't, don't do this. <coughs> Instead, do this. How about the command? The command grammatically, four points grammatically I'll give you. The first is it's, it's in the imperative. Whenever we say imperative, just know that's a command. You know, it's a command. It's not a suggestion. Number two, it's in the plural form. It's for all. It's for the church. It's not just for special people. It's for everyone who knows Christ. It is in the passive voice. This is really important. What does that mean? Well, it means it's something, it's not something you do. It's something God does for us. It's not something you do. I'm I'm, I'm filling myself with the Spirit. You you, you don't do that. It's something God does for us. And then fourth, it's in the present tense. Y'all, that simply means it's not one and done. Uh, When something is in the past tense, it means it's done and, and the effects continue. When it's in the present tense, it means you do it and then you do it again and then you do it again. It means it's continuous. If I paraphrased it, in the present tense, as it is in the Greek, it simply says this. Don't be controlled by other things. Instead, keep on being filled with the Spirit. You remember in the book of Acts, again, go there. It's like they were filled with the Spirit, and then you, no, nothing happens, or they're doing something, and they were filled with the Spirit. and then you go along, then so they are filled with the Spirit. See, it's just it's, being filled with the Spirit is a continual appropriation of the power of the Spirit in our life. It's over and over and over again. Now, the condition is inadequacy. We can't, I can't. Um, the, 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 the command, as we see it here, we see a contrast in a command, and the command is keep being filled with the Spirit. And now we're ready for the choice, and, and then we have a choice. What is, how are we filled with the Spirit, God? Well, <laughs> let me start here. There is mystery in this. Wouldn't, wouldn't you expect there to be mystery in the things of God? He tells us there is. Would you not expect there to be mystery around the person and work of the Holy Spirit? I, it is, uh, it, there is a mystery, and, and, and you can't nail it all down. Um, by the way, some of that mystery helps me understand why Jesus, okay, when he describes this what it means to be filled with the Spirit, to depend on the Spirit. Why would Jesus basically look at the disciples and say, abide in me? You know? And then Paul comes along and says, be filled with the Spirit. And then later in Galatians, Paul's gonna say, uh, walk with the Spirit. And then later he's gonna say in Galatians, keep in step with the Spirit. You know, It's like, tell me one thing. Is it, do I, am I, you know, which one is it? Which one is it, by the way? Which one is it? It's all those things. All those things are our life in the spirit, all of them. He describes in a way that helps us understand and, and, and make it sticky for us. Okay, secondly, I wanna say this, there's no magic formula. And so I've, I've sought to be so careful not to give you a, um, you know, here's three steps to being filled with the spirit because that doesn't exist either. And yet there are some conditions, there are some things that are, we need to be true of us in order for us to walk in the fullness of the Spirit. But, you know, my own journey, when I first understood what it meant to be filled with the Spirit, I've changed changed what I believe about that even from when I first understood because that was more of a do this, do this, do this, and you're filled with the Spirit. And I truly don't believe that's how we're filled with the Spirit according to the Scripture. And this is what I'm going to walk us through right now. How are we filled with the Spirit? Start where I started in the grammar. It's a passive tense verb, be filled. It's something God does. It's not something we can ask. So it's fair for you and I to, to ask the question, how do we do something that can only be done for us? So let's not try and dodge that. How do we do something that can only be done for us? It'd be like, me, it'd be like you telling me, Lloyd, throw yourself a surprise party. okay but but if i throw it then it's me doing it and then i see what i'm saying how is it that how is it that we do something that can only be done for us it's it's not as confusing as it sounds and we can use the biggest decision we ever made in our life to describe it <clears throat> before you came to faith in jesus was there anything you could do to secure your salvation was there anything you could do To pay the penalty for your sin. Was there anything you could do to obtain a righteous standing before a holy God? Was there? No. Y'all, the answer is no. So, so think about this. So, salvation is not something we do, it's something done, God does for us, right? And yet, if you're sitting here today and you've placed your faith in Christ, you would say to me, I'm saved that which I couldn't do for myself, God did for me. Do you see that? Now, here's the million-dollar question. How, what did you do in order to receive forgiveness of your sins and a right standing with God? What, what did you do? That's not a tricky trick question. What did you do? You did nothing, but, but there is the is something. What, what's the something we do do, though we know we can do nothing? Some of you, yeah. You believed, right? So, so you, you and I, we, we just, I, I can't save myself. I'm incapable. Oh God, the word says that Jesus died in my place, was buried and rose again. I believe it. I trust that it's true for me. And our sins are forgiven. We're clothed in Christ's righteousness. By faith. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. By grace are we saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, right? It's by faith. So how are Christians filled with the Spirit? By faith, y'all. By faith. And, and some of you are going, uh, we just spent two weeks to get to this point where we would say, okay, we're filled with the Spirit by faith. It, yes, yes we did. Because I believe this, I wouldn't have done it, but I believe that had I, had I at the beginning of this message come down and just randomly grabbed a few of you And put the microphone in front of your face and I just said, would you tell me how we're filled with the Spirit? I don't know that there would have been many in this room who would have looked at me with conviction and said, by faith? You know what I'm saying? I don't know that we would have. I think I've got a lot of answers and they would have been kind of around and close. But would, would many of us have just looked at me and said, Lloyd, we're filled with the Spirit by faith? I don't think so. But gang, we're filled with the spirit by faith. It's not something we do. We can't, we can't fill ourselves. It's by faith we're filled with the spirit. I want you to look at this verse from Paul in Galatians. He helps us understand this. Galatians 3:2 to 5. Notice what he says. He says, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish having begun by the spirit are you now being perfected by the flesh? So then does he who provides you with the spirit, God provides us with the spirit and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by hearing faith? With faith. Let me tell you what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying to the Galatians, if it was by faith that you received the Spirit, then why are you now trying to live the Christian life in your flesh? In other words, in your own strength. If it was by faith you came to Christ and in that moment the Spirit indwells you by faith, why now are you trying to live the Christian life by your own strength? You still must live the Christian life by faith. Y'all, faith, 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 it never changes. It's all by faith. Sometimes we think, well, I'm saved by faith, but now I need to really work it out. But well, The working out is even by faith. Now, here's where the rubber meets the road. Um, I think I've convinced you, I hope, I hope the scripture convinces you, it's not even me, that we're filled with the Spirit by faith. But the nature of faith has certain characteristics, okay? Faith is not just an intellectual mental ascent. No, there's certain marks to saving faith, And being filled with the spirit faith. And I'm going to give you these two marks. Here's the first one. Biblical faith is keenly aware and accepting of inadequacy. Biblical faith is marked by the person who knows they are powerless and incapable. The person who knows that they cannot stop the lustful thoughts. They cannot be content with what they have because other people have other stuff and I just can't not be discontented when I see. They can, a person who's with biblical faith recognizes I, I simply cannot stop living the lie. I cannot stop living my life in such a way where I present an outward appearance to people because I don't want to see them on the inside. I, I cannot love my wife as Christ loved the church. I I cannot forgive that person for the way they harmed and hurt those whom I love. I I can't love my enemies. I know the Bible says it. You know the Bible says be holy. I can't. I cannot be holy. I cannot do the right thing all the time. I cannot keep from doing the wrong thing a lot of the time. See, that's that's biblical faith. I can't. I'm powerless. And the word I want to give you here is the word dependent, dependent. Um, And and by the way, you know, when you think about this idea of inadequacy and dependence, powerlessness, inadequacy, y'all, we spend our lifetimes avoiding those, don't we? In our our wiring, we go, I don't want to be that, I don't want to be that. And yet, do we understand that God in his grace brings those things into our lives as, as gifts of grace so that we will, we will trust him and him alone and not our own strengths. Rather than avoiding powerlessness, inability, brokenness, we embrace it. Okay, so the first mark of that the biblical faith then is going to be it's a, it's a faith of dependence. And then the second mark of biblical faith is biblical faith is always a faith made visible. It's always a faith made <clears throat> visible. It begins as a thought. Don't, don't miss me on this. You know, our, our faith is not um, irrational. Faith is rational, intellectually sound. We have a, truths that we hold. But biblical faith doesn't remain just a mental ascent truth. It moves into our affections and our feelings. It touches all parts of us. It moves through our desires and our longings and addresses those. And then out of that, we make choices. Then we make choices out of that, you see. But biblical faith always results in a choice, ultimately. James called it faith that works. Biblical faith is not just, I have faith. It is, I have faith and watch what I do with my life because I have faith. You see, they go together. Now, this next sentence, I, I worked on a lot because I'm trying to make this as simple and clear as I, I can, as best I can. Um, and so I'm gonna read it twice because you might not understand it the first time. The person who is filled with the Spirit trusts the Spirit to do what they cannot do as they do it by faith. I'm going to say it again. The the person who is filled with the Spirit trusts the Spirit to do what they cannot do as they do it by faith. Okay, Lloyd, you, you got us totally confused. I hope I don't. And if I can offer this as, as a kind of an odd illustration because I, I'm, I'm putting the light on myself, but I couldn't think of another way to describe or, or, or try and land this for you. I want you to take what I am doing right now, right now. I, you know, two weeks ago began studying for this passage because I, you know, teach at Brentwood last week, teach here this week. And, and I know, and this is true in every text, but in particular I was aware of this in this one, that I'm getting ready to try and teach you uh, a, a spiritual concept about the Holy Spirit that is so vital and essential to the Christian life. And I'm going... I can't do, I, I really mean, I can't do it. I can't open your eyes. Like you can tell I'm trying, I'm working hard here, but I can't make you understand that the person and work of the Holy Spirit is important. I, I can't do it. And so, so so, for two weeks ago, in particular when I'm studying, I, I would study and, and when I go to study, I go, Lord, I, I cannot open their eyes to this, only you can. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust your spirit to guide me in the books I read, in the study, the commentary, in how I put this message together, because it could be put together a hundred different ways. But I'm going to trust you, Holy Spirit, to put a message together in such a way that is for our body, you know, our church at Brentwood, our church right here in Franklin. And so in my study, I, I was depending on the Spirit to do that. You know what I did? I studied. I did my work. You know, I, it's my, my responsibility. And so now I am standing in front of you and I am saying words and I am teaching you and I still understand, I truly do, that what I'm saying just sounds like wah 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 wah. wah. Sounds like Charlie Brown's teacher, unless the Holy Spirit teaches you. And yet I'm God has gifted me, called me, put me in a place where it's my responsibility right now to teach you. And so I'm using words and illustrations to teach you as best I can. And yet I go, I can't do it. Here's the sentence. I can't teach you about this person and work of the spirit. Only the spirit can do that. I can't do it. And yet I'm doing it by faith that the Spirit is filling me and teaching you so that I do not think this is heretical. As you look at me and hear me say these words, you're looking at a man who is filled with the Spirit right now. That, and, and you look at me and you go, well, that's not much, you know, or you're not doing any miracles, and I don't mean this facetiously at all. You're not speaking in tongues. I can address that later. You're not speaking in tongues. You're not doing it. You, you, know, you, don't look like the, you don't look like the guys in the in, in Acts. Why like someone said, well, at one level I say, well, yes, I do. I'm just telling you, and I'm I by faith. You, you, are y'all with me? By faith, I believe I'm filled with the Spirit now as I'm teaching you. And that's what I want to invite you into. To live your Christian life dependent upon the Spirit. Such that this afternoon, I'll go home. Lisa and I will get into an argument this afternoon, and I will have a choice. I can argue, I can fight it, or I can go, I cannot love this woman as Christ loved the church. Oh God, by your Holy Spirit in me, let the next words that come out of my mouth or the next thing I do be of you and not of me. And honey, I and it's the same for you this week. What about you this week that you 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 are living your life and and you're you cannot care for these kids anymore. I can't do it. And mom, what are you going to do? You're going to go ballistic or you're going to go I cannot, even as a mother and I love my kids and I would die for them. I cannot love them well right now. Holy Spirit, you live in me. I'm going to trust you're going to give me the capacity to love them right now in word and deed, or even if I have to leave the room, I'm going to leave the room in the fullness of the Spirit. This is how practical this is God lives in us to reproduce the life of Christ through us as we live it, recognizing we can't, but He will, y'all. This is pretty profound. It's not, this is what the Bible teaches us. Can you imagine what a church would look like where we were a people who were continually filled with the Spirit? You know, I, say, I want to say, you know, you're not, being filled with the Spirit is not, you know, it's not 24-7 per se. It's not like, you know, I'm, brushed, I'm filled with the Spirit, brush my teeth, I'm filled with the Spirit as I'm watching TV. I, no, it's, Do you know what I'm saying? It's you're filled with the Spirit over, you know, you're filled with the Spirit. You know, you come upon a challenge. I'm going to be filled with the Spirit as I engage that challenge. That's what we're talking about. Can you imagine a church that we individually and corporately walked filled with the Spirit? Can you imagine what that would look like? And the truth is, we don't have to imagine it because the Bible tells us what it looks like. They turned their world upside down. That's the only way, is through the fullness of the Spirit. Let's stand. I've gone long. Uh, I, I warned them I would go long on this one. <clears throat> I am going to try to address some questions two weeks from now, and I think uh, just shoot an email to uh, Susan Russell. I think I had we had that before. Do we have that slide? I don't know if we have that slide right now, but uh, you can shoot an email and you have questions around this, I wanna, we want to address it. These four weeks, I'm telling you guys, are absolutely critical and essential to our life in Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. and I confess again my own inability to teach it. But your ability, Holy Spirit to teach it in a way that changes us, to open our eyes, to believe and trust. This is my prayer for us. I believe it's your will for us. And therefore, I ask that you might change us through the fullness of your spirit as we learn more and more what it means to walk in his fullness day by day by day. In Christ's name, amen. And if you would like someone to pray with you, we would love to pray with you. And so teams up front, up here as we dismiss, just make your way up and we'd be glad to pray with you. God bless.